new variant of the coronavirus is spreading across the globe. Named Omicron after the 15th letter of the Greek alphabet, the variant has sparked travel bans around the world. In South Africa, where the variant was first identified, it has quickly become the dominant strain. On the 13th of December, the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced what is believed to be the first death from the variant. You're listening to Beyond the Headlines, and this week we're looking at whether the Omicron variant is a threat to the COVID recovery. Before we get started, please take a second to subscribe to Beyond the Headlines to get all the latest episodes. So where did it all begin? The first reports of the Omicron variant came from Dr. Angelique Coetzee in South Africa after she started receiving patients who had unusual symptoms of COVID but were COVID positive. So it started with the younger generation, 40 and less, and the most predominant clinical complaint is severe fatigue for one or two days with then the headache and the body aches and pain. Some of them will have what they call a scratchy throat and some will have a cough, a dry cough, but it's not a constant cough. It comes and goes. And that's more or less the, the big symptoms that we have seen. We also have seen clinically that the oxygen requirements, I haven't picked up one and so my other colleagues as well, I picked up anyone at this stage requiring oxygen. Some of them would have a temperature. It's not a very high temperature. I only had one child that was severely ill with a temperature of what we call 40 degrees and with quite a fast pulse rate. But we managed to treat her at home and within 48 hours, she was dramatically better. The World Health Organization names variants of interest and concern after letters of the Greek alphabet. Omicron was named on November the 26th. As news organizations started to report on the variant, governments began to respond with travel restrictions and bans on South Africa and neighboring countries. Despite this, the variant, at the time of the recording of this podcast, is in 77 countries. Very little is known about Omicron, but the World Health Organization and researchers around the world are quickly trying to learn more. Dr. Maria Van Kerkhove is the World Health Organization's technical lead on the COVID-19 crisis. This variant has a large number of mutations, and some of these mutations have some worrying characteristics. Right now, there are many studies that are underway. There's a lot of work that is ongoing in South Africa and in other countries to better characterize the variant itself in terms of transmissibility. The three main points of concern for any variant are, one, how infectious is it? Two, how virulent it is or how harmful, and three, how effective current vaccines are against it. Eskild Peterson is Professor Emeritus of Infectious Diseases at Aarhus University, Denmark. He also chairs the Emerging Infections Task Force in Basel, Switzerland. He says one thing is certain. Well, there's no doubt that it's uh, very infectious, so it's going to outcompete the Delta variant, I think, worldwide. But we have no idea whether it's uh, more or less dangerous than the Delta variant. Actually, uh, for the very, very preliminary data from South Africa, it looks like it may not give you as serious disease as the Delta variant. But the, the data is not collected in a systematic way, so there's a lot of uncertainties. But it is very infectious. The Delta variant, Professor Peterson mentions, was first identified in India and has been the globally dominant strain of COVID since 2021. 
Omicron seems to be highly transmissible. By mid-December, just a few weeks after the variant was first identified, it had been found in over 70 countries, despite travel restrictions, and it is now the dominant strain in South Africa. Being transmissible in itself is not necessarily a problem. There are multiple viruses that traverse through the human population, causing annoyance but very little upset. The common cold is a prime example, caused by more than 200 viruses that transmit throughout the globe. So the next question of how virulent Omicron is, is an important one. As Eskild said, the scientific community cannot be sure. The data is not in yet. But scientists are hopeful that early indicators suggest the variant may be a milder form of the disease. Although many reports of Omicron are that of the mild disease, there are many factors at play. Large percentages of the population affected are vaccinated and with the coronavirus. The impact in terms of data can take weeks to manifest. As with any of the previous waves or variants, deaths and hospitalizations usually lag behind the actual number of cases by around at least two weeks. This is because of the length of time it takes for the coronavirus to affect an infected person, but also because of how the data is collected in various countries. Now on to the question of vaccines. Variants pose a risk in part because vaccines are most effective against the form of the virus they were originally made with. So coping with variants is an important factor in how we tackle the virus. The more mutations a variant has, the less likely the original virus it is. The Delta variant, which is the dominant strain globally, has 13 mutations. It is more dangerous than the earlier strains with more hospitalizations and deaths, but vaccines are largely effective against Delta. Due to the mutations, breakthrough infections did occur, but vaccines are still effective in preventing severe illness, hospitalizations, and deaths. The reason for the concern with the Omicron variant is that it has more than 30 mutations. Professor Peterson says that although variants pose a greater risk, there is no hard line between a variant that is susceptible to vaccines and one that is not. I don't think there is a tipping point. I think that it's a continuous slide. I think that a lot of labs are taking uh, blood samples from uh, from people who had Omicron and they uh, try to see how it uh, inhibits the growth of the virus in a test tube and uh, that will give us an indication. When the virus change, uh, the uh, effect of your immunity, whether you have had the infection or you have been immunized, will uh, probably not be as efficient as it was. But we have to realize that the, the vaccines we are using now are based on the original virus uh, from uh, Wuhan in uh, January 2020. And it still gives you quite a good uh, protection against the Delta variant, uh, especially against uh, be, being seriously ill and, and die. And uh, you would expect that there would be some effect of the vaccines against the Omicron variant also. The strategy, at least in uh, Europe and uh, the US, is to give a third uh, booster shot after the first initial, two initial shots. And that will uh, increase uh, your immunity and uh, most probably also give you a better protection against uh, Omicron. Currently, pharmaceutical companies Pfizer, Moderna, BioNTech, and Johnson & Johnson are all racing to adapt their vaccines to Omicron. With Omicron's high transmissibility, it could become the dominant strain, and any further mutations may be a step too far in the sliding scale, as Professor Peterson called it, of vaccine efficacy. 
Early research in South Africa from the Africa Health Research Institute in Durban found a two-shot course of the Pfizer vaccine has just 22.5% efficacy against Omicron. This is causing a wave of governments urging populations to get booster shots. Dr. Mikhail Dolsten, Pfizer's chief scientific officer, says early data shows that a third booster shot will help neutralize the Omicron variant. We are very pleased to share that uh, our released laboratory data show that people vaccinated with a third boost generate a robust level of neutralizing antibody against a new highly mutated Omicron variant. This is comforting and a very positive message that we now have a plan that will induce immunity that is likely to protect from infection, symptomatic illness, and severe disease from now across the entire winter season as we learn more about this illness. A booster dose will strengthen antibody levels 25-fold about from what we see with two doses against Omicron. The two doses of the current vaccine, as I said, have low level of protection. But the question of vaccine brings up another major stumbling block in global COVID recovery. As time goes on and people are left unvaccinated, or if the current vaccines fail to provide sufficient protection, COVID will continue to spread through the population and chances of a new variant developing and in turn circulating increases. How can a global recovery take place when there are many countries in the world with a very low vaccination rate? COVAX, the global initiative to tackle COVID-19 by helping low-to-middle-income countries, in part by providing vaccines to the most vulnerable people in the world, has failed to deliver on their goals. Although more than 180 countries have signed up to the COVAX program, the richest and most developed countries have consistently sought to procure vaccines for their own populations first, a practice dubbed vaccine nationalism. Although over 8 billion doses have been administered globally, many countries have extremely low vaccination rates, whilst countries like Israel, Malta, and Cuba have high percentages of their populations vaccinated, with people even receiving a third booster shot. Countries like Malawi, Iraq, or South Africa have very low vaccination rates. Dr. Islam Anan is a lecturer in pharmacoeconomics at Ain Shams University in Egypt. Let's start with the dilemma of the fair distribution and the equity of fair distribution. So you can say we got like 8 billion doses distributed so far. So from the start, from the beginning, if we agreed on the COVAX protocol to distribute only to the most vulnerable population, which is 20 to 30% maximum in any country, So we are talking about old age, people with uh, comorbidities, healthcare workers. Eight billion, it means four billion citizens inoculated, vaccinated with two shots around the world. The pandemic would have been ended. No mutations and no future waves, no future vaccinations and no boosters. So to start with, we are in this scenario because of vaccine nationalism. We expected to have a COVID new variant with escape mutation. So we expected that since wave three. And we expected that if you will continue in inequity and no fair distribution of vaccines in Africa, 
we will have a new variant by wave four. We will have another variant in Q1 2022. And what they are doing with South Africa, South Africa actually discovered because they do a lot of gene sequencing and they are very clever in it to discover a new mutation and be very transparent in communicating that we are just punishing them by closing all the borders in their faces. So instead, do we have an alternative, a contingency plan rather than closing borders? Yes. If a country is actually declaring a mutation, Please send aids, please send money, send uh, PCR, make more close, uh, actually, security gates at the airports to ensure there is no passenger got any COVID, whether mutated or not. Uh, send the hospitals a lot of funds because you need to reward them. Do you think any country in the future, especially African country, will ever declare any future mutation if they discovered one? The concern around accurate reporting has been voiced elsewhere. Dr. Jeremy Camel, professor of microbiology and immunology at Louisiana State University, has expressed the same concerns. We're rewarding them with travel bans. I mean, is that really the way that you're going to get data quickly next time if, if a country like Haiti or the Dominican Republic or Costa Rica finds a new variant? Maybe there would be political pressure not to release that data because they're worried about the effects on tourism or their economies. We need to be thinking about incentives and and putting the right ones in place. If Omicron becomes the dominant strain and is significantly milder, it could offer some immunity against future strains in those populations where vaccinations are still a challenge. But reliance on a strain that offers milder symptoms highlights the failures of global vaccine distribution. And as Professor Peterson points out, COVID-19 variants have not followed a path of becoming less virulent in humans, so we cannot rely on this expectation in the future. We absolutely have no idea, but we know from other viral diseases that uh, as the virus uh, evolves and moves through the human populations, it gets less and less aggressive. Uh, we have not seen that with the uh, coronavirus 2 variant. So far, the uh, alpha variant was more serious than the original virus. The delta variant was more serious than the alpha variant. Over the past uh, one and a half year, we have moved from the original virus to more serious variants. But I don't think that anything is given here. And uh, you could easily imagine that a new variant would be more infectious but less dangerous. But we don't know, and we need uh, urgently more data. Dr. Islam Anand thinks until we start thinking globally, any plans to procure a COVID-free future are bound to fail. A very nice study in the States, they uh, economically evaluated it, and they said that each dollar you're going to spend in sending a vaccine to Africa and to Latin America will return $5 to your economy in the U.S. and Europe. And yet, they are insisting in going to that direction. Okay, if we are talking specifically about Omicron and about South Africa, uh, what we are doing now is actually a very poor plan. And if we, you know, the four phases of uh, containing any virus or any pandemic, they are all the time doing the third stage. First stage is mitigation. You mitigate the pandemic, you mitigate the crisis, so it won't happen. Second one is you are prepared. Third one is just you are responding, and fourth is you are trying to recover. And we all knew that we're going to face this situation, and the world didn't have any mitigation plan, and no preparation plan, just response, just a reaction. You've been listening to Beyond the Headlines. I've been your host, Cody Combs. 
If you've enjoyed this week's episode, please subscribe by clicking the subscribe button in your favorite podcasting app. Thanks this week to Professor Eskild Peterson and Dr. Islam Anan. Additional reporting by Reuters and AP. This week's episode was produced by Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan with the additional assistance of Bob Tollest. 